Ellis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. So the Phoenix Suns have the four seed in the upcoming playoffs. It means that they're probably not going to play any of their best players when it comes to the last game of the regular season. Don't expect to see Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Ayton, and another guy who seems to be clicking into another gear just before the playoffs. Is Chris Paul all of a sudden reaching a new level just before the postseason? Just in time. So here's what happened. He set a cur- this. This is the fascinating thing about what has happened in the recent stretch of games. He set a career high of three-pointers in a game with seven against Denver. Seven for I'll, 12 that day. I'll say that again. He set a career high. Career high. How long has this man been playing basketball? Uh, that he is now for the first that he is now years? for the first time hitting seven threes in one game. Wait, wasn't he drafted in a four? So nineteen seasons? Is that right? I might be making that up. Maybe it was the 05 draft. Okay. You might be right. But the point being still he set a career high in threes. And you made a good comp that we'll get into in a second, but the fact that Chris Paul is essentially starting to turn it on, or as Mugatu from Zoolander would say, Chris Paul is so hot right now. <laughs> Chris Paul is so hot right now, and yet, Chris Paul is not playing the way that Chris Paul normally plays. No, I mean, you talk about the other night, right, against Denver, 7 for 12 from three-point land. That's 58% by my math. Uh, even the game prior to that, 4 for 6, is still... Really, really good, and more than usual, shooting 67%, two-thirds there from the, beyond the arc. He had a game back in uh, March, early March, they played Oklahoma City, four for five from deep. It feels to me like Chris Paul has this unlockable ability to shoot three-pointers when he so chooses. He's I don't a, think he ever lost it. He's on a streak of 20-point games, isn't he? Uh, like yeah, he scored five? 25 last game. He had 22 before that. The game before that was 16. The game before that was 5. So, I mean, the last two games have been I mean, really this good. is almost kind of coming out as like a secret weapon all of a sudden. It's you, you have your Swiss Army knife. You've got your Kevin Durant knife. You've got your Devin Booker knife. And every now and then you've got your DeAndre Ayton knife. And then tucked away is like the corkscrew that you never really use. That's Chris Paul. He's going to put defenses into a corkscrew with this other area of his game that he's showing off these last few games. Now, but... Let's put it in context, right? So 20-plus points in the last two games is great. It's another level for him in terms of scoring. But look at the assist column. Two assists versus Denver. Three assists versus San Antonio. Now, clearly, they win those games handily anyway, so it's not a huge issue. But what I'm saying is he played a different game entirely because I think what you're asking out of Chris Paul, assuming Devin Booker and Kevin Durant are both playing, DeAndre Ayton's playing, everybody healthy. What I'm asking for out of Chris Paul is to direct traffic, is to get other guys involved, to get Kevin Durant open looks, to get Devin Booker open looks. They'll handle the majority of the scoring. I don't need 20 points out of Chris Paul. It's great when it happens. Yeah. He's certainly still capable of it. And especially like I said, he Devin, can turn it on. Especially when Devin Booker has an off night. Sure. And I, I think it's great that this season, especially with the addition of Durant, Chris Paul doesn't have to be the second guy anymore. Like no. he was last postseason, or the year in the bubble, or the year they went to the finals. Well, that felt like the biggest problem this year, did it not? Before the Durant trade, it seemed like a lot of the argument around the Suns offensively was, okay, who's going to back up Booker? 
Who's going to be that next guy who at a moment's notice can just be the other 20 a gamer? Is it going to be DeAndre Ayton? Because Chris Paul's kind of suffering with that. Is it going to be Mikael Bridges? Turns out it should have been Bridges. <laughs> Hindsight really hurts. Cam Johnson was hurt most of the year, so they were down a, le- a leading scorer for the most part. Right. So it's nice knowing that Devin Booker and Kevin Durant kind of equate as number one options on this team. And then here, all of a sudden, here comes the Chris Paul second option, basically. I'll, I'll make the analogy that I told you about earlier. Remember when Steve Kerr, sorry, not Steve Kerr, Steve Nash used to be asked about, you know, his three point shooting ability. We all knew Steve Nash was one of the best three point shooters in the league. Yes. Percentage wise, the shot selection, he was amazing at it. He could pull up, he could do it off the, off the dribble, he could do it off the ball entirely, off of screens. He was great at it. He could have been Steph Curry taking 10 plus three pointers a game hitting six or seven of them on certain nights. I mean, that could have been Steve Nash. He could have had Steph Curry's trajectory Mm -hmm. if he so chose to. But Steve Nash chose to go another route. He chose to get his teammates involved. He was the assist guy before he was the I'll take the last shot kind of guy. Steve Nash made that decision. And probably in tandem with guys like Mike D'Antoni, but they made the decision consciously to get other guys involved and not have to rely on himself too much. And I mean, look, it it didn't result in the end game goal, but Steve Nash won back-to-back MVPs just for that play style alone. Bingo. He was doing things that really elevated that Suns team into the next level, right? Do you ever see Ichiro Suzuki hit batting practice? Oh, he'd hit tanks. Tanks. (laughs) <laughs> you know how many home runs he would hit in the regular season? He like like 10? under 200, yeah. He did like 10 a year, 15 a year maybe. Ichiro could have chosen to be a 30 home run but hitting 240 kind of player, but he made the conscious decision to instead hit dang near everything that came close to the strike zone and instead had 262 hits in a season and chose not to opt for power. My point is simply, I think Chris Paul can do that too, and I think he's doing it this season. I haven't looked at his full season numbers, but I'm pretty sure Chris Paul is shooting really good from three points. Here, while you look for that, he was asked if he's had to adjust any part of his game this year. This was following the Denver game Thursday. Somewhere, but I've always credited myself in being adaptive and understanding that I can play anyway. You know, if it costs me to assist, defend, shoot, whatever it is. And so um, it's a lot of, lot, of, lot of stuff going on in the game. You got Book out there. You got DA. You got KD, you know, and picking your spots. But that's why we do this. And Kellen Olson, who covers the Suns for us at ArizonaSports.com, he's pointed out numerous times. He even had a piece a couple of weeks ago. It was essentially like the pick your poison kind of deal. Because the way this team runs offensive sets, somebody is going to be left open. And I don't mean somebody as in who's, whoever's in the fifth spot between Josh Okogie or Tory Craig or whatever they decide to do. I mean somebody that is either DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, or Kevin Durant. Somebody is going to be left open and is going to punish the opposing defense as a result. And right now, I feel pretty good if that's Chris Paul. Me too. Like I mentioned about his three-point shooting percentage, 37.5% on the season. That's wow. pretty darn good for a guy who last year he was shooting 32%. I mean, for, for really upped it. getting the 40% is an anomaly. 37%, that's awesome. Pretty solid. And, you know, for his career, that's actually higher than his career percentage. So I, I agree with what everything Chris Paul just said is totally accurate. He's adaptable. I think it's great, especially when you consider what happened to Chris Paul in the playoffs last season where he just 
aged overnight, literally. It was his birthday. Uh, and maybe there was some COVID involved, or we're still not really sure kind how that all went down. about it. We don't know. But keep in mind, too, he talked about defense there. The Western Conference is stacked with good point guard play. Really, both conferences. But if you're talking about who you're going to be playing in the five seed, the Warriors, Steph Curry, you're going to need Chris Paul to play pretty well defensively against Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clippers have Russell Westbrook, who I think is probably uh, he deserves not the a, most threatening he's ever been. No, but he's, he's, he's good. not the same Russ, but he deserves the credit of being a dangerous opposition. The Lakers went and added a point guard in D'Angelo Russell, who I don't think is a schlub either. I mean, you haven't even mentioned Memphis with John Morant, Denver right. with Jamal Murray. If you get Sac- further down the line. Sacramento with De'Aaron Fox. Bingo. Chris Paul is going to have to be adaptable, and he's not necessarily going to be relied upon to be a top scoring option, but he's proven over the last couple of games he can take it to another level if he really needs to. And there will be games in this postseason where he really needs to do that. Coming up next, earlier, Steve contests that Dre Jameson should be given more opportunities as a starter. He should. Rather than a reliever. It's true. Is a spot soon to open up for Dre? We'll talk about that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Diamondbacks got the win yesterday. That's great. Because, you know, we love it when they beat the Dodgers. And they've beaten the Dodgers three times this year out of their four wins. There's just one problem. It wasn't the easiest win yesterday for the Diamondbacks. We talked earlier about the good, which... uh, Several members of the offense had great nights. Evan Longoria, I said four for four. He was actually three for three with a walk. So he got on base four times, which is great. Corbin Carroll following up Longo's home run with his own home run. Gabby Moreno at the bottom of the order had a two-hit night. The bullpen was fantastic last night between Dre Jameson, Miguel Castro, and Andrew Chafin. There was one bad and I'm not going to say, like, it was bad, bad, but I'm going to say it's very frustrating at this point that we have to keep talking about this. Steve, I'm, of course, talking about Madison Bumgarner's outing last night. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to start to get tired of Madison Bumgarner pretty quickly if he plays this way. And can I, can I I've pause been you and say I think we're tired already? A lot of people are. I, I've been optimistic. I, I want him to do well. I, w- I would rather he pitch well and they have the option of either keeping him through the end of the year or even through the end of his contract. Or possibly trying to trade him for something or just to get his contract off the books. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, two rough outings. Uh, the second one, not as bad as the first. But I, I'm looking at some of his numbers on fan graphs. I mean, his walks per nine currently sits at 10.38. Is this this year? This is this year. That's I, two it's, starts. And it's two at starts. 10? It's at 10. 10 per nine. He's never had a season above three. Oh, my God. 10. He's not in the strike zone. Well, remember last week there was the whole arm fatigue thing, and he left with the t- he left the team to go back to Arizona to be reevaluated. Obviously, it was okay for his next start, but it, he throws over a hundred pitches in four and two thirds innings. It's Robbie Ray all over again. Another uh, indicator that he's struggling with location: over three home runs per nine. Not good. He's never had that in a full season as an career. Even as bad as his last three years in Arizona have been, never did he come close to three home runs per nine. He allowed two That's last where he's night. sitting right now. He allowed two last night. And then we forget, or we try to forget, that was a grand slam in the first inning of his first start. 
And players aren't even having that good of uh, luck against him. No. His batting average on balls in play is 250. That's a statistic that a lot of people might not know much about. But basically it talks about how lucky are people getting against you. They're not even lucky. They're just hitting them hard. And like that double that Betts had to lead off the game, Alec Thomas, either he came in too, too shallow to make the catch or he just took the wrong route and he missed it and it was a little over his head. So there's there's a balancing act there, and the only run allowed was a sack fly. Blah 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 blah. It's just get, it's getting old, man. It's starting to get real old with this. Like you're paying him how much money for him to now be the third starter in this rotation and not even make it through the fifth inning? I want to say there's forty plus million left on his contract in total this year. I think it's like twenty. I think if I recall correctly, the way they structured it was light early. Heavy Six in the million mid- in the first season, yeah. Heavy in the middle, and now it'll go backwards next year. So maybe that'll be enticing to some teams. But what team is going to want him? He's making twenty three this year, fourteen next year is what it looks like. Jeez, oh, and the books will be freed up a bit more next year because Ahmed is going to be done, Melanson's going to be done. That's where most of the money is. The Carroll contract is going to ex- kick in next year. But that one's not as expensive early. But these these are things you have to you have to think about for the future. Do you want to win baseball games this year or not? And yes, they won I last do. night. I know. But Madison Bumgarner is not going to set you up to win baseball games this year. It's two showings, but I'm not getting that inclination. So here's the thing about Madison Bumgarner. It's been this way since day one that he got uh, acquired by the Diamondbacks. Yes, he's a two different careers kind of guy. There's the career he had in San Francisco where he played there for, what was it, 11 seasons? And then there's the four, well, three plus a little bit of time in Arizona. They're completely different. Consider two, three World Series runs. Three World Series. He was a World Series MVP. So you might as well tack on a whole nother year and a half, basically. But here's, here's the thing, too, though. In 11 years in San Francisco, which feels like a lot, right? Like, that's a whole career for most guys. Maybe multiple careers. Yeah. How many times was he an All Star? Do you know? Off the top of your head? Off the top of my head. I want to say it 11 was... 11 years. I want to say it was four times. Four times. It's true. Okay. My point being that even in his time in San Francisco, as magical as it was winning three World Series, and anybody would take that over the All-Star appearances. I mean, look, Don't he, get me wrong. He was never the best pitcher in a regular season. That's the thing. Is, he was only ever an All-Star. He was only ever a Silver Slugger. He, he was a top five Cy Young, but he never won. The only thing that Mad Bum has to his credit in his career is how he's remembered for 2014. That's yeah. really the most significant thing about him. Well, but also, I mean, he was really solid in San Francisco. Don't get me wrong. His ERA was I, I'm 3.13. <laughs> uh, it's just that his ERA is two full runs higher in Arizona. His whip went from 1.11. Very good. And I don't want to hear nothing about... In San about Francisco. In Arizona, it's 1.35. I don't want to hear nothing about park adjustment. No. He has had to play against this Diamondbacks team in this city for years prior to being a member of this team. So here's my question to you. Okay. How long is the leash? At what point do you... Let's assume he continues um, to pitch the way that he is currently and that how, it's not good. How, how long do you think my phone is? Uh, like four inches. Because I think it might even be shorter than that. If, if I'm the manager, the leash at this point is like I'm holding on to him by the collar. If you want to use a metaphorical distance... I'm holding on to Mad Bum by the collar right now. He's he's getting a little riled up. There's another dog across the street that's got his attention, and I got to do everything I can to make sure I'm holding him in place so that I don't completely lose him. But if I lose him, I think I'm ready to move on to something else. 
because we had the argument earlier about why you want Trey Jameson to have more opportunities as a starter. Oh, yeah, I won that argument. Well, I remember. Well, guess what? <laughs> guess what? Trey Jameson's not the only one looking for more opportunities to start. Certainly not. You know how many people they weaved in last year other than Trey Jameson? Tommy Henry. One of them is a starter this year, too. Ryan Nelson. Ryan Nelson. Tommy Henry. Tyler Gilbert has had opportunities. And I haven't even mentioned the dude who hasn't cracked the big leagues yet, but he might be better than all three of them combined in Brandon Fott. Yeah, currently in AAA. If I'm Tori Lovello, I got to be holding on to this dude by the collar, man, ready to yank at a moment's notice. Because if he does this again four games from now, and you want to compete, if you truly want to compete for a postseason spot this year, you got to hold on to that dude by his neck. Okay, so let's say that they do come to the decision that the better chance to win games is to have, let's just say, Dre Jameson, Tommy Henry, one of those guys pitching in the rotation, and Bumgarner no longer is that guy. What do you do with him? Does he become a long-relief option out of the bullpen? Do you just I, cut bait with him and eat all of that salary? Do okay. you try to trade him for absolutely nothing so you just to get the contract up, You off? can't give up on him, but you can't keep putting him in this particular position. And what do you do? What do you do? You just swap. You can do a swap. That's the easiest thing to do without having to do a significant roster move, right? When you say a swap, you mean he Take goes to the bullpen, Jamison goes to the rotation. Yeah, that's okay. the easy option, number one. Option number two is... Either you DFA or you try to make him a trade asset without DFAing him. Who's going to take him? That's the other problem. Is if he's not good for you, what? Some other team is going to be like, oh, he'll be good for us. I've pitched this idea the last couple of years, and we're still a few months away from me pitching it again, but I'm going to at least throw it out there. I think the only team in the league that would take Madison Baumgartner on in a trade is the San Francisco Giants because of the sentimental value, so to speak. Now, listen, are they looking at it like we need Madison Bumgarner? Probably not. Nobody's looking at him that way. But they're the one team that if he goes home, there's some magic there. And it doesn't even mean he's going to be good. It just means that they would welcome him back with open arms as long as they're not giving away anything. You might even have to eat half the salary if you're the Diamondbacks just to give him to another team. To let him play for someone else. What's the line in Moneyball? Uh, uh, I ain't paying you $7 million. The Yankees are paying half your contract to yeah. play against them. Yeah. It's the same thing. You might be stuck in that scenario with Bumgarner. Only because I follow the Giants relatively closely. I contest that that's probably not an organizational decision that they would make. Probably not. You'd have to be in contention, so, probably. So realistically, it's going to be one of those St. Louis Cardinals. Or it's going to be one of those Milwaukee New Brewers? York Yankees. Or it's going to be one of those, you know, like insert team that's got plenty of money to spare and is willing to take a flyer on a dude just for oh, depth's sake. I see what you're saying. Right? Like the Cardinals don't need Madison Bumgarner. No. The Yankees don't need Madison Bumgarner. No. But he's there if you need him. He's like the last couple of years, I'm going to throw an example. Like Jose Quintana. Yeah. Has you know, but Jose Quintana has been a lot better than White, Bumgarner. So. The White Sox they had a solid asset, but right. this, this is the biggest difference between these two. They capitalized on him when the moment was at his peak. Right, he was good. Madison Bumgarner, not good, not at his peak anymore. Right. So how the hell are you going to capitalize off of that? Most teams don't acquire guys who aren't playing well. 
let alone have arm fatigue after the first game. It, it sounds like everything's all well and good there, but at the same time, I mean, I'm looking at say, it like... We say all well and good, and yet he threw over 100 pitches before the fifth inning was done. Yeah. It's Not a rough, good. It's a rough start. I can't for wait sure. for him to go to Toronto and win the Cy Young. All right, coming up next, uh, the Arizona Cardinals have a big decision to make with that number three pick in the draft. Are they going to keep it and draft somebody? Are they going to trade it to somebody else? We'll run through a couple of the scenarios. We'll give you our definitive prediction for what they should do. It's coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferelvis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. The Arizona Cardinals have a big decision to make. With that number three pick in the NFL draft, do you take a player at three? Do you move that pick and try to trade down? There's a lot of scenarios on the table. It's just a matter of preference at this point. You've got a brand new front office, new GM, new head coach. They've got a lot of holes, more more holes than the number three player in the draft can fill oh, by himself. I thought you were going to say like more holes than Swiss cheese or something like that. Well, that would be a joke that you would make. Um, That's why I'm here. <laughs> but as they currently stand, the Cardinals still sit at three. There's a lot of scenarios. You could trade down to number four. With Indianapolis, if they're trying to move up for a quarterback. Do we want to just start with how far you would trade down if so? I mean, I can tell you the answer to that right now. Okay, how far would you trade down? I'm willing to make a trade with three teams. Okay. I'm willing to trade with Indianapolis because I still feel that that means they're getting a quarterback, three quarterbacks off the board. I still get the best player on the board, Will Anderson. It has the least impact on your plan. Right. And 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 it improves your plan. Right. Okay. I'm okay with moving with Indianapolis. Sure. I'm also okay with moving with Seattle at five. The reason is somewhat similar. Somewhat similar. I I believe that if they do that, that means Seattle's taking a quarterback. I don't think they're moving up for a Will Anderson or any other player. Quarterback. So it's funny you say that. And this is just one person's opinion because that's what mock drafts are, right? Sure. There was a mock draft that was pointed out with uh, Burns and Gamble yesterday. I forget who um, who wrote it, what platform, etc. But it, it proposed the idea of the Lions trading up to three. Okay. They're at six. But they took Will Anderson. Right. So you'd be sacrificing... The, you don't know this, of course. But you would be sacrificing the player that you want as a result of recouping picks. Because you didn't think that that team was going to want... That player. I, yeah, that's why Detroit's not on my list of teams I'm looking to trade with. Because I think if Detroit made that trade, they're probably doing it for Will Anderson. Also, I don't think the Seattle Seahawks would do it for Will Anderson. It's amazing how much the narrative, and I, I get it, there's very much extenuating circumstances as to why, but it's amazing how much the narrative has flipped around the, would you do Jalen Carter or would you do Will Anderson? And it's very much... Will Anderson. Oh, sure. Period. Well, he doesn't have as many questions as Carter. Like I said. Carter might have the better career. Like I said, plenty of extenuating circumstances around it, but it's amazing how quickly it has flipped in that direction. That'll happen when you have a legal situation brewing. The other third team I'm okay with trading with is Las Vegas. That's There's seven. been lots of rumors that they want to move up for a quarterback. They've been hosting all the quarterbacks in this draft class. Yep. Um, I'm okay with it, but you have to come to the terms. You have to come to terms with the fact that you're not getting Will Anderson. Sure. If you're moving back to seven. So you better get a dang good package if you're going to move to seven. This one's a risky move. I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't think this is going to happen. Because I think eventually this team is going to figure out their quarterback problem. Would you go all the way down to 22 if it meant the 
biggest haul for a trade? I don't know who's at 22. Baltimore. Oh, they got the Lamar Jackson situation going on. Mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily ignoring quarterbacks. I saw from, I believe it was Albert Breer, he tweeted out Anthony Richardson's visit schedule. Baltimore was on that list. Interesting. Now, granted, I'm sure Baltimore is just doing their due diligence because they don't know what their quarterback situation is going to be. By technicality, Lamar Jackson is on the non-exclusive franchise tag. So he is a member of this of the Ravens right now, but he's allowed to explore other offers. And if he gets a max offer from somebody or a fully guaranteed offer from somebody, the Ravens have a chance to match it. So it's not out of the question that that Lamar is gone. But he said he also made it clear that he wants a trade. Right. But it could also just be positioning for contract discussions or whatever. Like, I'm not happy with the offer that I'm getting. Please trade me. But at the same time, here is Baltimore looking at a guy who's projected to go in the top four picks overall. Who are they going to trade up with to be able to get there? The answer seems obvious, being Arizona. Yeah, no, I get that. That's an option I hadn't thought about. And honestly, this week with all the rumors surrounding the Patriots and Mac Jones, I thought about the Patriots. Mm. If they were willing to put together a package, where do they sit? 14. 14. That seems more plausible than a move to 22. Um, But that, again, is based on whether or not they find a new home for Mac Jones. I have another one for you. Okay. 11, which was one that was... I don't think it was necessarily reported by Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network, but he had mentioned that he had heard from other people. So he's like hearing from sources or other people tied in that Tennessee at 11 could be an intriguing team to move up to three. And they might actually have a decent amount to offer in order to try and get a quarterback to what is likely replace Ryan Tannehill under center. Now, there's that theory. There is the other theory that a former member of the 49ers personnel, who is now the general manager of the Titans, might be interested in one of the 49ers' current quarterbacks on the roster. And maybe that just becomes your new option. So, of all these options that you just laid out, I don't believe... And the ones you laid out, too. Let's not discount those. I'm not going to say Baltimore is likely to move up this year because they don't have a second-round pick. And they don't have an extra pick in any round this year. They sent those to the Bears, I believe, to get Roquan Smith. So Baltimore is a little bit lacking in the 2023 draft when it comes to big assets. They they have a first at 22, but they don't have a second. So they wouldn't be picking again until number 86. I I just don't think that you'd love that in a package if you're the Cardinals. Are you willing to take on most of the value in next year's draft or the year after? Well, I mean, that's just it. If Baltimore can't offer you a package that's comparable to the fact that they're moving up from 22 to 3, you just hang up the phone. Tennessee, like, it's not a conversation at all. Tennessee has the 41st pick, so they have their own pick in every round except for the fourth. So are they willing to give up a second rounder this year and not have a two or a four to and get a quarterback? And they've Maybe. Been, they've been shedding veterans from their payroll. They, they re-signed Jeffrey Simmons the other day, but they've been shedding a lot of veterans from their payroll maybe to free up what is essentially going to be a rebuild for Tennessee this year. Las Vegas has their pick in every round, and they've got three-fifths and three-sixths. Sorry, two-sixths. So they have some later-round capital, but that's not what you're looking for if you're the Cardinals. I still think Seattle makes the most sense to me. They have two first-round picks. They have two second-round picks because of their deal for Russell Westbrook uh, with the uh, the Broncos. Wilson. 
Sorry, what did I say? Westbrook. Westbrook. Sorry, it's Russell okay. Wilson. I think we all knew what I meant, though, Any, right? Anytime you say Russ, you just have to ask the question. Yeah, Go I'm ahead. Just, I'm just going to start saying Russ You're instead. Good. Why do all the Russes have W last names? Uh, um, Seattle has the most capital to deal with, and they don't even have to trade you anything into the future. If you wanted to move back to five and take on uh, an extra first and an extra second, they could do that within this year's draft alone. What if they try to get clever with you, though, and give you their first round pick? And I'm not talking about five. I'm talking about 20. They try to move from 20 to three? Yeah. So they would have to offer more. Oh, they'd have to offer a lot into the future. Um, because I, that's a similar package to what you'd be asking from Baltimore. I just, contest, I just contest as enticing as five is. I wonder how much Seattle thinks that they'd be able to move 20 instead of five. Uh, yeah, and that might be enticing for them. Obviously, you'd love way. to get a quarterback in the top three and then way. get a f- fifth overall player. If I'm the Cardinals... And I'm offered any of the picks in this draft that are below where Tennessee is. I'm hanging up the phone. You don't want to pick below 11. I genuinely believe that whoever they're going to get is not worth it if they have to go below 11. I don't even like the idea of them going down to 11. Because you're risking a lot of other great defensive assets like a Lucas Van Ness from Iowa, a Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech. Like you're sacrificing a lot of opportunities moving out of the top 10. Yeah. Even let alone the top 20. Well, it's why I said earlier of my three preferred destinations, I'm taking Indianapolis and Seattle, the fourth or fifth pick, and then a step, a tier below that is a deal with Las Vegas at seven. I feel confident you're still going to get probably the best player at the position of that player's uh, choosing. You're probably going to get that player at seven, but you're not going to get Will Anderson. Mm -hmm. So you're sacrificing the player you would have gotten at three anyway. We all assume they would take Will Anderson at three. That's, again, still an assumption. Which is why we really haven't had the conversation of do you stay at three, because I think regardless, we know what they would do, right? They're going to take Will Anderson. And we'd be okay with that. There's like over 50 mock drafts in the past two months that have said, oh, the Cardinals are going to take Will Anderson. I just think that... Assuming two quarterbacks go off the board, let's say it's Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud at one and two. In in what order. So let's say you have Anthony Richardson on the board, you have Will Levis on the board at number three, I think it's a waste if the Cardinals can't convince somebody to move up to three and jump Indianapolis or convince Indianapolis to move up so no one else does. I disagree that it's the Cardinals trying to convince somebody. I think it's teams trying to convince the Cardinals to move out of three. I don't think the Cardinals are going to be the team that's trying to convince other teams to move up. Now, maybe they'll play bluff. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, we've been hearing from Indianapolis that they're really interested. And they're telling that to Vegas on the phone or they're telling that to Tennessee on the phone. Or you even mentioned the Seahawks. Maybe they're telling that to Seattle on the phone. I don't think that they're going to be the ones that are trying to entice other teams to move up. I get it. You would get a lot of capital. But I think that their simplest move is to just play the bluff game, right? That's how Chicago ends up swapping with San Francisco going from three to two and taking who ended up being the worst of the first-round quarterbacks in that draft all those years ago. When they could have just sat there, still gotten Mitch Trubisky, or, hell, decided to take Patrick Mahomes instead, or take Deshaun Watson instead. I think the Cardinals are just going to play the bluff game. They don't have to play the, hey, come up to three. It's nice and cozy up here. You've seen the quarterbacks leave. Like, come on up. No. Here's an off-the-wall. They'll just play the bluff game. An off-the-wall thought that I had this week. Play along with me for a second. Yep. There was the story about former employee Terry McDonough making accusations against owner Michael Bidwell and and the the organization and all that stuff, right? Within that accusation, he had an accusation that the team was using burner phones and cheating and communicating with Steve Kime during his suspension for DUI a few years ago. Yes. 
The organization did not dispute that. In fact, they just said that it was somebody else's idea, not Bidwell's. Yeah, the only thing they did not dispute was the phones. They say it existed. So if all things are true, that the burner phone thing really did happen and the NFL now knows about it and they're likely going to punish your organization, you could lose draft picks. Yep. In fact, the Miami Dolphins recently lost a draft pick over tampering. Their first rounder this year has been forfeited. I'm not saying that it's going to happen quickly and that the Cardinals are going to lose the number three pick in this year's draft. But what if the Cardinals are likely, I think they might be, likely to lose an early pick in next year's draft? Does that make the Cardinals brass? Does that make Monty Austin Fort more likely? Does it give him more incentive to move down this year to get more draft capital next year? Because you might be losing your first round pick thanks to whatever happened with the burner phone. And you know what it makes it even worse, Steve? That first rounder next year could be top five. Could be. The way that this team is headed right now. It could be. And you might lose it for disciplinary reasons. And Monty Awesomefort has to be thinking about that because it's the future of the organization. So he might be more inclined to move down this year and try to pick up a first next year or pick up a second next year because he's going to need it. Desperately. Coming up next... We all know and are all fascinated by Shohei Otani's two-way playing ability in baseball. He's never done what this guy did, though. We'll tell you about it next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch and Steve present Footnotes on Arizona Sports Saturday. Footnotes. It's the part of the show where we have a lot more that we wanted to get to, but not enough time in a two-hour show. Which feels weird to say, like, oh, we didn't have enough time in our two-hour radio show to talk about this. But in reality... Yeah, we found the time. That's what it is. So I teased going in about Shohei Otani and how he's never done what this guy did before. And because you found this story, if you would like, I can turn it over to you. I don't have it right in front okay, of me. I'll, I remember what happened. I have, <laughs> all right, I have the story. So I just wanted to be sure because you found it. So I want to give you credit where credit's due. I'm just going to read the title. Yeah, first. go for it. A cycle... And a no-no. This college player did both in the same game. A D2 player, right? He is Brady Ware of D2's University of Indianapolis. And yesterday, he threw a seven-inning no-hitter. He struck out 11, by the way. It's a seven-inning no-hitter? A seven-inning no-hitter. Count. Oh, stop it. <laughs> and he hit for the cycle. Four for four. So he got them all in four at-bats. Do it in a D1 game. Two runs and five RBI. God, you're so critical. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Most people, most players, they never do either of those in their entire career. That's what I mean. So he did them both on the same afternoon. Shohei, to his credit, has hit for the cycle. He hasn't thrown the no-no yet. He has a cycle? He does. Wow. Yeah. Um, so Shohei has the cycle, has not done the no-no, at least in MLB. I don't know about if he did it together. in Japan. Yeah. Give it another year. He'll probably do it. He'll probably find a way to up it. It'll be a perfect game in a cycle with multiple home runs. There's a quote from uh, Ware after the game. Quote, I was about 15 minutes late today, so I'll be about 15 minutes late every day. <laughs> I think Coach would be okay with that if he continues to do what he did. <laughs> he set the precedent. <sighs> That's good. Man, was, talk about a day at the office. Man. Okay, so you won't know why it was seven innings. It was game two of a doubleheader. So he was 15 minutes late. They played two games, and he still hit the cycle and had a no-hitter in the second game. So is he a... 
I guess it's different in college, but a lot of players play two ways. I think in he's college. a two way. That's just a thing. Is he the DH and starting pitcher? I believe that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, I believe so. Still very impressive. Good find by you. Uh, speaking of baseball and good finds, uh, Dre Jameson. We've talked about a lot today, but there's one thing that we haven't talked about with Dre Jameson. His cleats. Oh, yeah. Did you see his cleats yesterday? Weren't they Scooby-Doo? Scooby-Doo-themed mystery machine cleats. Are Very those cool. allowed? I uh, always forget because I feel I, like... I wanted to make the joke, like, he's going to get a fine from MLB or something soon. NFL players get fined for their pregame warm-up cleats all the time. And so I always forget what sports allow people to be creative and the other ones don't. I don't know. Usually the no fun league, they don't so, let anybody like do anything. NFL, they devote an entire week to you being, or an entire month, I should say, to you being able to customize your cleats. And then I think other times they dock you. I don't remember how it is in baseball. I remember baseball used to be sticklers about it. But these puppies are, <laughs> puppies, these puppies are cool, man. We've got a story on ArizonaSports.com where you can get a good look at the shoes. Man, it's like, here, I'll, I'll try and turn my monitor as best oh, I, I can. I saw He's got yeah. Scooby-Doo on one of the shoes. Oh, and I guarantee that'll be our most viewed uh, website click of all time. All it's time? always, I, I, I go to the web team and I'll be like, hey, what's what's popping on the website? Oh, new uniforms for the Diamondbacks. Oh. Th- that stuff, people love the uniform conversation. You know what? I'll just segue into my next thing since okay. you brought it up. It was first reported, I believe, by Mike Jarecki, but then there was a follow-up report this week from Kyle Odegaard, who works for Compare.Bet, but he used to write for the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. And he says they're coming. The new uniforms for the Arizona Cardinals, and they're supposed to be unveiled before draft night. Haven't they worn the same uniforms since, like, 05 or something like that? They've been around for a while. Yeah, it's like almost 20 years. And I think even had, before that, the, their their jerseys didn't change a whole I lot. I think they had the new ones that came when they got the, the stadium in Glendale. So here's the rumor that's going around that I don't know how I feel about this yet. Okay. i got to see it in implementation. Yellow. I don't know how much yellow, though. I've heard yellow. Not yellow jerseys, but like yellow being implemented, like the beak color. Yes. That could be implemented a little bit more with the jersey so it's not just red and white all the time. I don't know how that's going to work, but we'll see. New helmet would be cool. You know, it's interesting that a lot of people have been pointing to the, the draft hats. as like one of these doesn't look like the other. Well, guess what? The Cardinals just tweeted out that you can follow and like a tweet to win one of the draft hats. Hmm. But the draft hats don't look like the draft hats that were circulating earlier. Really? Yeah, a little more red and white than I remember. Is there any yellow on the beak? All right. But that's it. All right. That's the same as it was before. Not a lot of yellow yet. Um, One more thing before we got to wrap it up. I'm just going to pick, or I'm just going to rapid fire these. Zach Pascal, the wide receiver for the Cardinals, first ever number zero Hate, player. hate, hate <laughs> players that wear zero. Hate it. Hated it in college. Don't like it at the pro level. Hate. You know what else I hate? When uh, weather impacts a major event. And granted, it was weather combined with the fact of this massive tree at Augusta National completely being uprooted and falling over. How does that happen? First of all, nobody was hurt. Amazing. Amazing. Second of all, it suspended play. But play was initially suspended because of weather. And then this massive tree completely uprooted from the golf course and goes over. I think they evacuated the course, too. Oh, yeah. So that continued today. Masters coverage uh, presented by FanDuel. If you want to keep up with it, we've got it for you at ArizonaSports.com. Yeah, that's just wild. I never thought that would happen. I never thought that could happen. How does a tree get uprooted like that? I don't even know. It kind of looked like one of those palm trees, too. The kind of skinny tree. Yeah. So maybe that's all it was. I'm not really too sure, but... 
Big trunky boy, I guess you could say. I was hoping for some, you know, positive, uplifting highlights from the Masters. Not, you know, tree falls down and almost kills people. Not a literal tree uplifting highlight. All right. We want to thank you so much for checking out the show on this beautiful Saturday. For my co-host, Mitch Vareldis. For Trevor Henry behind the glass as well. I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports Saturday here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.